and technology fun, right? Um, uh, how is everyone today? Huh? Well, thank you. Thank you all for being here today. Now it's a great day where we can come together and, and worship, you know, without a band, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's always, you know, technology's fun. And we can, you know, be here and we can, you know, even via technology, we can all have a copy of God's Word, too, uh, whether on our phones or, or as a book. You know, it's, it's cool to, to look at technology. But, you know, as we've been looking through the last few weeks, we've been really looking at our, at our upside-down world. You know, the, the worldviews that form and frame us, you know, and, and the thinking we see, you know, and we see the biblical answers, you know, to the issues of our day. You know, today we come to look at, you know, humanity's view of, of history, and we will look at the biblical view of history. And then uh, we'll take some time to look at, you know, what a state is, and what a state should be, what a governance should be, and then that of a church and what it should be. And we end on these subjects because how we view history greatly matters. You know, and coming along with that comes, you know, the knowledge of history. You know, and then we look at how the state works and how a church works. You know, these, you know, these understandings or these misunderstandings of these issues will shape the future. You know, they'll, they'll shape how we go. John Lennox says this, We humans are insatiably curious. We have been asking questions since the dawn of history. We've especially been asking big questions about origin and destiny. Where do I, where do I come from? And where am I going? Their importance is obvious. Our answer to the first shapes our concepts of who we are. And our answer to the second gives us goals to live for. Taken together, our responses to these questions help us frame our world view. The narrative that gives us our life, gives us our lives meaning. Um, how we view each other, how we view ourselves, how we view our culture, politics, sex, the police, the facts, or the truth comes to and from what we are grounded in. As we have seen, we're in, a, in an era that is called the, the post-truth era, the, the new term. Um, but the church can't be that. Now, the church cannot be post-truth. And we see that even the world cannot survive or thrive upon feelings. <clears throat> and the church cannot as well. It needs to stand in the truth. The truth is, is that we have been formed and framed by God, one race, one blood. And we are made to know God and enjoy Him forever. We are here because He has placed us right here in this time period of history that we would seek him and that we would know him. Now this is up to you know, the fact of where we go. 
where we will live forever. Heaven with God or hell without God. You know, this matter-of-factly, the, the biblical story destroys victimhood. You know, as we looked at Ezekiel chapter 18 last week, it, it shows that we have a choice of where, you know, who we will be. Whether we will be victorious in Christ or a victim of our own estate, it is a choice before us. But yet again, yet again, we need to attack the notion, attack the notion that the problem is out there, right? You know, all the other worldviews view it like that. All the problems are out there. But the problem is me. The problem is in the mirror, right? The problem is the sinful nature. Now, we were just talking about human progress for a little bit there and seeing all our woes and, and everything. I've been, I've been reading an interesting book about artificial intelligence. It's a good book, but... The, the, the standard of it is that the, the human nature cannot overcome certain things. You know, the human nature is broken. So we see this. We need to understand that in its own, humanity cannot overcome itself. So as I, I said at the beginning of, of all of this series, is that we need someone outside of the context to come and rescue us. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can, we can take time through, through this series to, to look at the varying worldviews, to, to dissect them in, in sort of ways and to just look at them through the Bible and how the Bible answers these questions. And I know these issues rage I know these issues are hard. I just pray for all of us to be based in your truth. That you formed us and framed us to know you, Lord God. To have relationship with you. I thank you for the people that came to Christ yesterday. Through Dare to Share. Through the events. Through those conversations that we as the church can go out and lovingly call a world to be reconciled to God through Christ. Help us, Lord, understand these issues. Help us, Lord, to be pierced through by your word. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So if you don't know me yet, I'm a history nerd. <laughs> I have always appreciated history since I was in the eighth grade. I've, I've wanted to be a history teacher. So I've, I've, I've uh, you know, even when I came to the Lord, I really saw that the, the resonance of the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, was a historical and is a historical person. And he's the person that created all of history and time. Um, our view of history and its workings have become a big part of the battle of worldviews. It, it has, you know, we see this battle raging in our upside-down world. History is defined as the study of past events, particularly in human affairs. As I'll have found this one from Webster's Dictionary. History is a chronological rec record of the significant events 
such as those affecting a nation or institution, often including an explanation of their causes. So it's this great history is a great domino effect of cultures of how these cultures interact with each other and, and what is happening. History has told us what has happened. It is a record of past events. It can show us where culture came from and where it is going. Uh, Winston Churchill said it best. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. You know, we need to have a knowledge of history so we are not taken captive by false worldviews claiming to bring life when they in fact bring death, destruction, and enslavement. Now this is why you know, we've, we've looked at and seen critical race theory, Marxism, postmodernism, secular humanism, and the post-truth views of history are simply not true. They are false narratives. Critical race theory at its base would say that the original sin is whiteness. Marxism would state that the original sin is the rich. Postmodernism would say that the truth is the original sin. Secular humanism would say that God, the idea of God, is the original sin. And the post-truth view would say that the facts are the original sin. But the biblical view of history strongly disagrees with those narratives. The original sin was the rebellion against God. It answers with this, the problem is not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It would state that without the truth, the reality of, of who we are and who God is and, and why we are here, if we didn't know those things, we would not have science. We would, have not, we would not have justice. We would not have law. We would not have education, banking, organization, or even baked goods. Because we wouldn't know how to do those things. We wouldn't even have theology. The premier that birthed all of our universities in the West. The Bible would say that rebellion against the truth, the uniqueness, the character, and the person of God was and is what has placed us here. And for any of that, any of the, the quotation, I strongly recommend Rodney Stark. He's a, a great historian. The Victory of Reason is one of his, if you like history books, is one of his great history books to read and he's ha has several others but the rebellion has placed us here and to the narrative that feelings matter more than truth the bible states this the truth the truth will set you free not feelings not our feelings but the truth the truth of god's word is what will set us free and this is you know, what we saw last week, that our only hope, our only hope is revelation. It is the only thing that brings us hope. So in our conversation of history, we come to what is, and I'm probably going to butcher this word, so I'm just going to say, but it's called the dialectic. The dialectic is 
which intelligent exchange of ideas happens is within this tension or in opposition between two act interacting forces or ideas. <clears throat> this, will, this will bring itself to where logic and ideas meet. Two coinciding ideas will take time to argue. This is where the methods of argumentation of, and methodology will and should take place. The thoughts and the worldviews of a whole take place here and shift. You know, this is seen in, in throughout history. Wars and civil wars take place here. You know, this is how culture wars take place, how generational t changes take place and worldview shifts happen. You know, how our view of life is changed, our, our grid is changed. Uh, technology, along with the dialectic, is also what advances that as well. As we see throughout history, the flow of ideas is pretty much unstoppable. The flow of information is pretty much unstoppable. But until recently in history, they, they usually stayed in place unless an empire expanded like Alexander did. He Hellenized the world. He conquered it first, though, and then he started Hellenizing the world. But innovations like the printing press gave us things like this for every single person. And that took place in 1440, not that long ago, if you actually look at it. And not long afterwards, you have what is the Protestant Reformation in 1517. So the printing press and coffee actually you know, led to that, but that's a meme. <laughs> you know, it took the world by storm because it took us back to Scripture. It took us back to that. And then jumping forward a little bit, the World Wide Web was birthed in 1989. Happy birthday, sweetie. And the World Wide Web. <laughs> it was developed to share information between scientists around the world. That's a, its original intent. But several years after that, you know, the first web browsers came out. And the world has never been the same. You know, Leap forward a few generations, and in 2003, MySpace. Who had a MySpace account? Ah, cool. Okay, three of us. <laughs> MySpace came out in 2003. In 2004, Facebook was founded. Who's, who's got one of those still? Yeah, woo. Okay, a couple more. <laughs> in 2005, YouTube, which we just used to worship, was founded. And in 2006, Twitter, nobody needs one of those, right? Who's got one? No? No, really? I'm the only one? Okay, cool. No, no one else wants to admit to it. <laughs> but uh, it was founded. Now, these and more are a storm which has changed us, and not always for the better. You know, we see through social media the clash of ideas, which has been seen throughout history, is now summed up in whether it's a bumper sticker tagline, which we see on our cars, or in a quotable meme. People on both sides of the issue have become more entrenched, more informed. But actually, if you see the statistics of social media, have actually made us feel more alone than ever in the world. It's usually number one, ranked on number one in 
in most of the, the polls. And it's the simple fact is we don't make friends where we're at anymore. So how do we answer the unceasing information? Well, sometimes it, it takes a willpower to set down our phones and just breathe. Just think about those things. It's worth it. We need to love one another and we need to build relationships where we are. And we need to be real with one another. We need to live in reality and have mercy upon one another. Now, this is where the church should and can be a view place for the world to be like, that's what we need to be. But as of right now, we see the clash of worldviews on our phones, our tablets, our TVs, and our streets as history unfolds before us through elections and cultural revolutions and the exchange of ideas. Now, this is coming back to the dialectic. It comes back in. This is the learning or rather thinking that forms here that you know one group has an idea and that's the thesis. And then another group has this idea and that's the antithesis. And they battle. They take time to validate their own opinion or invalidate the other side's assumptions. Now this brings conflict and it should and can lead to a result but sadly is not really seen in our culture. It should bring insight. It should bring what is called a synthesis, a blending of those ideas sometimes. It brings insight, knowledge, information together. And this way comes ideas and ideas are built and ideas shape worldviews. They shape them. You know, most worldviews weren't built in a day. You know, we can point to people like Karl Marx and Frederick Engels and we can pick up their book. We can pick up the Communist Manifesto and, and read that. Read what they wrote and see a worldview. You know, we can read the Koran and see what Islam is about. But we need to personally deal with our own worldviews and those of others around us. That is why the view of history, this view of history and thought doesn't line up with the Bible. With the biblical view of history, the biblical view shows us an entirely different aspect, that it's not just about ideas and conflict and humanity trying to build itself up, but it is about God reaching down into history and coming to rescue rebels and bring redemption for all nations. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to Acts 17. But Acts 17, verses 26 through 31, state this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and their boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, and as some of even your own poets have said, for we indeed 
for we are indeed his offspring. But being then from then God's offspring, ought we not to think that divine being is not ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination by man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now here Paul is speaking to the Athenians, to the Greeks. Now he's saying this, that all of man, that he, God, had made all of man from one man and placed them, gave every nation to live on the face of the earth. And he himself has determined their allotted periods, their borders. He did this. The sovereign Lord did this. But why? So they would seek him. That they would perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. But even in that, the text says, and he is not far away from them. He calls all men to repent and believe for a day has been fixed, a point in history, judgment day. And we will stand before a man and be judged in righteousness. And all of this has been proven by the resurrection of Jesus. That he is that man. And redemptive history shows us that there is a single flow to all of history. It's not just about ideas battling back and forth. It's about who we believe in and trust in. For there is one who has made us, and we are made for him. Peter states this in the book of Acts. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, all of us. There is no other name no other idea, movement, worldview that can save us. Only Jesus, the Messiah. Having redemption in him. The central point of all of history is found in the Gospel of John. Go ahead and turn to John 3 with me, please. John 3 Verses 16 through 18, Jesus, Jesus actually says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the dividing line of all of humanity. What we do with Jesus, what we do with the Son of God, who has come so that whomsoever can believe in him and upon him and not perish but have eternal life. But Jesus brings saving grace to all of humanity. All of it. 
And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. You know, the choice is before us. The choice is to either believe in the name of the Son of God or not. Now, the biblical view of history is not just a struggle of ideas back and forth and conflict and, and growing, but it is of God reaching down into history to bring us back to himself. Now, the biblical view of history has huge implications upon the world. You know, first, it shows us that there is a hope. There's a hope apart from our sinful nature, from ourselves and our sinful nature. And we see that God has spoken. and spoken upon these issues and, and shown us. So it brings us, it brings us to this issue. What is, what is a state? You know, when you hear that term. It was a, defined as a nation or a territory considered as an organized political community under one government. A nation defined as a large body of people united by common descent, history, culture, or language inhabiting a particular country or territory. And then I thought I'd define government too. You know, why not while you're at it, right? Government is the system by which a nation is controlled or regulated. The government or politics is the administration or authority or management of that land, the state, the people, and the nation. You know, it is all here because someone has placed it here. Now, please turn in your Bibles with me to Romans. Romans 13. Uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7 states this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what is what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But what if you do wrong? But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoing, doers, wrongdoing. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay all, to, pay all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. You know, the first thing is, you know, the governing authorities are actually set up by the Lord. So we don't resist those people appointed by God, for judgment will come. Because of this, rulers are, are terror to bad, but not the good. 
So we are to do good, to not have fear. For the authority bears the sword not in vain, but it bears it as a servant of God to be an avenger to carry out God's wrath on wrongdoers. So we are to be in subjection to avoid wrath, yes, but also because of the sake of conscience. So this, you know, the text says we, we pay our taxes, we give respect, and we give honor where it is due. You know, as we look at the, the origins of a governing body or a civil order, you can go back all the way to Genesis 9 and see that the, the civil order is actually given to reckon in cases of blood for blood. It's actually reckoned to do this because man is made in the image of God. So even then, punishment is instituted by God. Even capital punishment may be required. You know, the government and those in governing positions have their authority by God. No other. Kings, councils, congress, presidents, emperors, and even Pilate have had and have no authority unless it is given from above. Jesus actually says this to Pilate in the Gospel of John. You would have no authority over me at, at all unless it had been given to you from above Therefore, who delivered me to you has the greater sin. But there are many forms of government, some good, some bad, and some outright ugly. But the truth is, power is limited. That power is limited. Just like what we saw last week, they too will stand before God in judgment, as we will personally stand before God in judgment so to any form of government, we need to say this. Authority comes from God. Yours then, that government's then, is not unlimited, but it is stewarded authority. And through history, we can see governments and nations and peoples go one way or another, right? You know, whether it's honoring the Lord or dishonoring the Lord. Uh, from Psalm 2 to the book of Revelation, we, we see that. We see it actually throughout the entire Bible that the nations rage against the Almighty, His law, His Messiah, and to His hand that holds out hope. So what are we to do? Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Paul says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now as a church, as a called out ones, we need to pray, we need to intercede for all peoples, for leaders, for what reason? For a peaceful and quiet life that would be godly and dignified in every way. 
You know, even in our discipling, we teach people to obey the Lord. This is a part of making disciples that Jesus calls us into, that no matter what time we live in, no matter what era we live in, we are to point people to the Lord God and his Savior, the Messiah, the unique Son, Jesus because he desires all people to come to him and to be saved by the knowledge of that truth. The knowledge of that truth. That there is one God and one mediator between man and God. The man, Christ Jesus. And he is the, he's the one that has come to ransom all, it says, all. And we do this so governments, so politics will know that it is not the hope of the nations. But Jesus is the hope to all nations. And without this reminder, you know, voters or subjects may and will put their hope in another kind of liberator or liberation. And governments and authorities will come to think that they are the end all, that they have unlimited authority. So the church has to tell the authority that their own authority comes from another to be well stewarded. And we have to think about this as well, that hearts within that order of things need the Messiah too. Whether it be friends, enemies, groups of terror, you know, to, to any, they all need Jesus. You know, from the Soviets of old to Iraq to Iran to ISIS to the whole world, however one labels the, the good guys or the bad guys, we should never neglect the truth that all have souls. As dare to share yesterday, every set of eyeballs we see is going somewhere. You know, the church should be about pointing all to the Messiah. And we desire, along with God, to see kings like Nebuchadnezzar who was a pagan king, come to honor God. You know, this brings us to the question, you know, what is, what is the church? You know, what, what, what are we? You know, you know, you may have heard a lot of things about the church. You know, the church is a club, it's a building, it's a community, it's a social event, it's a family, it's a hospital. And some of these sayings are, are good, but other ones are just bad. So what is the church or the church? Simply put, it is a set-apart assembly of the public gathering of the set-apart people of God that are set apart by Christ Jesus for God the Father and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, ready and awaiting his coming, all the while proclaiming his truth and the knowledge of God. That's a pretty simple explanation, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but that's, that's all of us. That's, that's what we are set apart in him. And Jesus says this in Matthew, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And on the confession that Peter had made, that Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus will in fact build his church, and the gates of hell will never stand against that confession. Now his assembled people, not a club or a building, not a social event, but his people, those that are in the family of God by the blood of Jesus, those that are in the new community called out to be the church 
from Pentecost to rapture will lovingly and should lovingly cry out to the world, be reconciled to God through Jesus. Because here in Christ, we are all together. Here in Christ, we are all here. Equal in the image of God. You know, as our head, Jesus brings every tongue, tribe, and people to him by the blood of his cross. To do this, Christ gives us gifts. He gifts his church so we would be equipped and built up and mature. And Jesus is also clearly the one who actually can close a church's doors. Throughout history, we have witnessed that the church's witness, sorry, no pun intended there, has shifted from the Middle East to Western Europe to the whole Western Hemisphere, and now it is actually really seen in the Middle East again, along with Africa and Asia. That witness is holding and contending for the faith once handed down as the West seeks and sinks back into a Greco-Roman view of the world and thought and law and life. That is why we see the church crumbling in the West. We have bought into a whole sale of goods that are not biblical. From forms to methods to models to programs, we form and frame ourselves in the world's way and think, hey, this will, this will be good. But this is why we are trampled under people's feet. This is why when a light is burnt out, we throw it away. This is why salt that brings no flavor to life is not used. So how should we go forward as the church you know, wherever we are, as the local assembly, we need to meet together. Let us not forsake that. Let us love one another and show the world by that love we are the followers of Jesus. Let us partake in the ordinances that he has instituted that point back to him, both communion and baptism of what he has done and let us be equipped and encouraged by that. The, those come from those that are, uh, are to lead the church, the elders who spiritually care for the assembly. They equip the assembly. And those that are deacons, those who are to physically care for the assembly, to encourage it. We hold to the truth. That is a primary goal of the whole church. We hold to the truth. Second Timothy. Please turn your Bibles with me to Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul says this to Timothy. It's some of his last words in verses 1 through 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me crown, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, what will our last words be? If the light is leaving, what will we say? That we would hold to God, that we would hold to his son who will judge all. That we would await his appearing, that is our hope. That we would preach the word, that we would train that we would be about the faith once and for all handed down. For the time is here. The time is now where, where people will accumulate for themselves teachers that will suit their own ways. In this we must shine out truth and mercy because that is the hope of man, the man Christ Jesus. That we will also come to answer the challenges from other worldviews and do the work that is before us. When talking about this subject, it is hard you know, not to bring up the, the fact of the matter of how the church and the state are to work differently or if they overlap. The truth of what the church should be in a culture. The church cannot be led by the state, whether it's some little part or total control which is still seen in the church of england today the church of england is actually led by the, the the state of england or in any way of like the pope with the catholic church which places another mediator between us and god the protestant reformation the protest of those things stated before change all of that that scripture alone would be the source of goodness of godliness that that is the way of life and the truth of doctrine. Not a king, a pope, or a secular government would be about that. But that Jesus would be our head. The Reformation took the church back to the standing of the first few centuries of church history. It takes us back to the revelation of God. The breathed out word of God for all to read, for all of us to understand in our mother tongue that people would see the hope of the one who has come for them. This brings us to the truth that the church will not always agree with the state that it resides in, on whom to worship, on life and death. And this we will come to stand against even orders, religious or otherwise, to speak and teach all in the name of Jesus as a church, we must listen to God. Please turn to your Bible in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 5. But Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 27 through 32. This is after the high priest and the Sadducees had risen up against the apostles. They had actually arrested them. But an angel freed them, freed them from prison and told them to publicly go, publicly go and speak at the temple. So they did and they were brought before the council, the whole Sanhedrin of the Senate of the people of Israel. So this is the ruling religious body of the people of Israel. And this is this is stated. This is talked about in 
verses 27 through 32. And when they had brought them and they sat them before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom your king, who you killed by hanging him on a tree, and God exalted him as a right hand, as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Even if the whole world stands against the truth of the word of God, we must listen to God. If we are silent, the hope will not be circulated. The light will go out. The church must herald the truth and bring forth worldwide witness to bring the nations to the truth that the grace of God is found in Christ alone and acquired by faith alone in grace alone. As we believe, the Holy Spirit seals us into the family of God. That's a permanent thing, a permanent sealing. And as Christ is our head, we await that day. Yet we await the beautiful marriage supper of the Lamb to his bride, the church, where his love will be fully expressed. As we see it in the cross, we'll see it in the supper. This is our hope this is our expectation as we await rapture, as we await rescue by the Lord. And we see the world, the world is a battleground of worldviews and the borders aren't clearly seen anymore because the borders are our hearts and minds. You know, technology has given us that new factor of the, of the war. You know, how we see God, life, ourselves, and the world as our whole is answered by our worldview, by how we view those things. And I hope and pray that these past few weeks have been helpful and encouraging, and yes, even, even challenging. They've been challenging to me. But I hope they've been challenging to you because this is something we can't leave on the floor and say, you know, it's the pastor's job. That's the, you know, and it's like we all, we all need to, you know, have our worldview challenged so we can know him, we can love him and serve him better. That we would see that history is this amazing redemptive narrative. That we would see that the state's power is from God and God alone and therefore is limited. And that we would be held in account, that we would hold an account of what they do, that they will be held into account that we would see that the church is something entirely different than some company, club, or even family. But it is, in fact, those that are set apart by God, bought by the blood of Jesus, and dwelt by the Spirit to proclaim His marvelous light. You know, this means we stand for the truth. We stand for it in gentleness and respect. We offer answers. <coughs> we point to the truth that God has formed and framed history so man might find him and that the state and church have their stewardships from God 
and that we are all accountable to our actions. So how do we apply this to today? You know, as we really come to the end of this series, I, you know, I, I've seen and I hope you do that our hope is not in revolution, but in revelation. Our hope is not in humanity somehow finding its own way in the dark. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for all, that he is the Savior of which all of humanity can believe upon and be saved. Our worldview leads us to peacefully protest. It's with a solemn declaration of opinion which is usually of dissent. It is the act of objecting. It is our duty as believers to stand for the unborn, to stand for biblical truth, to stand for justice. That is where Protestants came from. <laughs> you know, we protested whether or not the Pope, a king, or the church held the truth. But the Bible, the Bible alone holds the truth. And we, like those before, must stay and state that here I stand, I can do no other. You know, this is the thing. We don't take up arms in this war. We take up words. We take up books. Hand them off, you know. Hey, here you go. And we are to disseminate truth. We are to spread it. And with that comes the knowledge of God. You know, let us not in any way disrespect those that are entangled in lies, for they are POWs. Let us love them. And I very much do in this, this whole study suggest Daniel chapter 3 with the idol, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with Nebuchadnezzar. You know, they're not, they're not angry. They're not telling him, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what's going to go on with you. No, they are very much respectfully declining to worship an idol that has been set up by a state. They say, O king, they say that throughout the text, and they point to the God who saves. Let's uh, close with prayer. Father God, we... Thank you for today. We thank you for, for everything that you have given us, Lord. We thank you for your word and for your truth. We thank you that we can come together and we can sing, we can praise you. We can hear your word preached. We can hear your word, Lord. We can read it. We can see it. We can be pierced through by your word. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can gather. And we just... Uh, Pray for everyone here, Lord, that we would be grounded in your truth. And thank you, Lord, for, for the day that you have given us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.